My name is Peter Beinart. I'm a fellow at the Foundation for Middle East Peace and really thrilled to be joined today for a conversation with Professor Yael Sternhell, who's an Associate Professor of History and American Studies at Tel Aviv University. She's on the board of the New Israel Fund, and she is the author of Roots of War, The World of Movement in the Confederate South. Uh, Yael, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Peter. So... I was recently had the, the pleasure of being with you at, uh, at Tel Aviv University, and we had a conversation that I found really fascinating that I'd love you to talk about for our listeners, and that's about what it's like to teach the history of race in the United States in an Israeli university to, a stu- to an audience of, of Jewish, Israeli, and Palestinian students. Right. So uh, this is, you know, in in many ways, uh, I think has become the most important um, part of my professional life, at least uh, kind of emotionally, even if it's not um, all I do as as a professor at a research university. But but the importance of teaching this material, informing students who have kind of a general popular culture, kind of general education knowledge about it, uh, but want to learn more, um, is a really affecting and really gratifying way to think about questions of race and rights and equality and life in a multiracial, multiethnic, multilingual society. And in some ways, um, it's a lot of it is really foreign. I mean, I I kind of have to start with basics, uh, which if I were teaching this material in the U.S., then I wouldn't. I mean, a lot of it is kind of, you know, I a lot of it kind of comes down to the facts and really uh, sort of the very rudimentary information that they need um, as background. But then the conversation usually um, really soars, and it becomes a way for all of us to think about the challenges and the risks and the improbabilities uh, that have characterized um, the African-American freedom struggle uh, for the past 200 years, and and what we can learn from it. Um, So there's this um, really interesting tension between this being very far removed from our day-to-day lives here, but on the other hand, being familiar enough. I mean, it's not medieval history. It's not something that's completely different from um, how they understand and see the world. I mean, they they consume a lot of uh, American culture. They're you know, they they watch the, the the they watch television. They watch documentaries. They're you know avid listeners of hip hop. So they kind of have a framework for understanding this material. But it's it's this uh, combination of um, raising all the familiar issues in a way that's both foreign and familiar that makes for a really explosive discussion and and allows us to speak about these issues and we all know that what we're talking about is really relevant to what to the way we live here yet it's not direct it's not the kind of one on you know history of zionism oh what we can learn from it no it's the history of abolitionism it's the history of the NAACP it's the complicated history of of the civil rights movement um, so it's, I, I think it's these different tensions uh, that, that make it uh, such an important um, part of my professional life. So what are some of the connections that the students draw between the history of, of race uh, in the United States and, um, and, the, and the struggle you know, between Jews and, and Palestinians uh, in Israel? Right. 
So my students are, just a, a little bit of background, um, Tel Aviv University is, is Israel's largest research university, um, and it's located, obviously, um, in, in Tel Aviv. Um, and so it is uh, pretty progressive. I mean, you know, I can't speak for the entirety of our student body, but generally speaking, the students who come to the humanities uh, nowadays at Tel Aviv are progressive students with a particular interest in understanding history as a, a way to understand uh, our present um, condition here in Israel. Um, and then we also have a lot of Palestinian Israeli students, and just to, to be clear, these are um, Palestinians who are Israeli citizens, not from the occupied territories, not from Gaza, um, not from the West Bank. We, we we have an occasional student from East Jerusalem, though it's just so hard to get from East Jerusalem to Tel Aviv that that's um, a rarity. Um, so our, our Palestinian students are a very interesting bunch um, because they are part of this really um, socially and economically mobile population of Palestinian Israelis who are integrating um, rapidly and dramatically into the Israeli mainstream in a way that's not um, uncomplicated. I mean, it is very complicated for them. They are Palestinians and identify with the Palestinian people, both in the West Bank and Gaza and in the Palestinian diaspora. So that's the audience. And this audience makes all sorts of connections. Um, I mean, obviously, the majority-minority condition uh, in the U.S. and in Israel is very clear to both of us. Questions of disenfranchisement um, are always extremely um, explosive. For for example, I was teaching um, a course that is probably my favorite, um, History and Society uh, of the Modern South, in 2015, um, during the 2015 election, which is remembered uh, by all Israelis, uh, mainly for one thing, which is Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu going on air at some point during Election Day and um, telling his uh, supporters uh, to go vote because the Arabs, and I quote, are uh, going in droves uh, to the polling places and that left-wing organizations are busting them there. And so his supporters should not stay home, but should uh, go and vote to kind of counter um, that illegitimate Arab influence um, on on um, the Israeli election. And so I'm teaching that. Um, I'm, I'm teaching... Uh, uh, so all of this is going on, and while I am teaching Jim Crow disenfranchisement, um, the battle in, in the courts against various ways of disenfranchisement. And it was just, I mean, it was dynamite in class, just the kind of, their, the similarities um, were so obvious, and it was a way for Palestinian students to really express frustration um, at the lives that they are forced to lead here as a minority under uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Um, it was also a way at times for us to kind of make fun of our situation. I would, and I'm also, I'm very subtle. I mean, I don't draw these connections uh, myself. They draw them. And so I would, um, I teach this class in English, and I would say uh, they're, they're uh, going in droves and kind of, you know, maybe just a, stop for a second or kind of um, smile to myself. And, and, I mean, the students would be cracking up, especially the Palestinian students would be cracking up. So there was a kind of um, 
not this moment, a, a kind of a lighter moment, a way to, to um, maybe realize that this is not the first minority who has had to deal with this kind of stuff, and that uh, that that this may be temporary. That the fact that they are now um, under such an attack by Israel's um, leader doesn't mean that they will always be attacked by uh, by Israel's leader. I mean, this was also 2015. It was the Obama era. So there was a way in which, you know, we could compare, I mean, certainly right now that's not how it would seem, but, you know, 2015, the, the kind of the differences, the change over time, the fact that hope does exist and that things can change was very palpable when we kind of juxtaposed the 2015 Israeli election and um, the, the history of disenfranchisement of, of African Americans. Do you find that... Um I'm interested in the way in which Palestinian students identify with African-Americans in the history you're teaching or perhaps in some ways maybe, you know, don't always identify or see the situations that they face as as, as different in certain ways? Well, I mean, it really depends on how how educated, how informed they are because the kind of the most informed people, for example, uh, my friend uh, Amir Fakhouri, who's an activist and uh, a PhD um, student in sociology and a lawyer and really one of the most impressive people um, in Palestinian-Israeli society that I've met, um, he he will say that instinctively, no. I mean, this comparison doesn't work for him because uh, when Palestinians think about comparative examples, then colonialism has to factor into it. And that's not the case with uh, white and African-Americans, um, white, white Americans and African-Americans. It is the case, of course, when it comes to Native Americans, but, but not in... Um, in, in the story that, that I um, teach in, in these particular classes. So, I mean, there is a way in which um, you, th- there are critical differences. And yet, I think that for undergraduate students in particular, this idea of a minority living for centuries in a country that fundamentally rejects the, the legitimacy of its existence and, and prevents it from being part of the country um, is feels very close to home, very familiar, uh, very important. And, you know, this is not to say, I don't want to uh, kind of paint or present myself as painting an overly uh, optimistic um, or rosy uh, picture of contemporary race relations. My, my courses take us all the pretty much all the way to the present, definitely to mass incarceration. And so we are all extremely well aware of how unequal American society is, it is, is today. And yet still, you know, speaking as a 19th centrist, um, when I teach the history of, of Jim Crow and we think about a minority of Americans who lived under Jim Crow, and when we think about that minority in our day and age, yeah, the sense of forward movement, the sense of possibility um, is what is what's most important in the way that it's seen from Israel by Jews and Palestinians alike. Um, And I think this kind of maybe also ties into your previous question. Our Jewish students who are activists, um, for them it is really important. I mean, they walk out of these classes 
feeling like there's a point to what they're doing, which is not, you know, it it doesn't always seem like there's a point, uh, especially for the students who are active in organizations like Breaking the Silence, kind of at the vanguard, <clears throat> excuse me, of the struggle against um, the occupation. Um, there's a sense of pointlessness um, that, that often pervades uh, these organizations. And learning about the freedom struggle, not the kind of, you know, 10-year classic era of the civil rights movement, but no, actually kind of getting into what was it like to work for the NAACP in the 19-teens, in the 1920s, in the 1930s, what it was like to be a communist in the 1930s. Um, you know, what it was like to fight for the Scottsboro Boys in the 1930s. Uh, for, for my Jewish activist students, um, it's important. I mean, I, I say this because at the end of, of the semester, they will come to me and they will say, listen, this course needs to be taught at Tel Aviv University every single semester. Everyone needs to take it. And, you know, it's, it's not about my teaching abilities, of course, but it's, it's about their sense that this material has something to offer for students who are looking for hope um, that is essential and that is in some ways um, unique, again, because of this tension between a history that's removed uh, in, in one way, but also very close, very familiar on the other. So those, it sounds like, are Israeli Jewish students who are more on the left. But do you ever find that there are other uh, Jewish Israeli students who respond with a sense of discomfort that, wait a second, are people could there is there some analogy between us and white you know and white Americans during a period of you know African American oppression does that does that discomfort emerge for 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 Jewish yeah students that discomfort emerges from students who are more at the center more to the right mm-hmm. um, again it's usually not uh, aimed directly at me because I'm very careful uh, about not drawing these comparisons explicitly but. Um, letting them make their own connections, develop their their own thinking about it. So these interactions can be pretty tense um, in class at times uh, between Jewish students who feel um, that other students are unnecessarily tying uh, what they feel is, you know, their own righteous course um, as Jewish students in a democratic society in which everyone votes uh, to white supremacy in its darkest uh, phases. Um, So there's definitely that uh, as well. And then there are also the students who are oblivious, and to be honest, Palestinian students whom I expect to be all fired up by this material, kind of, well, you know, I don't particularly care. I mean, we we have apolitical students both on the Jewish and on the Palestinian side, Um, or at least students who do not um, allow themselves to to act politically um, in in class or in class discussion. Um, So there's a whole spectrum of, of responses for sure. Um, uh, but but at the end of the day, I I really see how this has evolved into something really central, and how we approach. You know, it's not just my teaching, but it's how we approach American studies more generally at Tel Aviv, and and why we feel that it is particularly important to teach American history and to teach American um, race history um, at a place like Tel Aviv, and and the ways in which history teaching can can actually be effective and and relevant, um, even when it's not Zionist history or the history of of the the Middle Eastern conflict, but something that is um, ostensibly um, quite far. Um, so, so even when the 
the responses don't always have to be um, you know, 100% uh, understanding and um, what what I hope that they would get out of this history. But but I think that even when they don't, it really sinks in. You talked at the beginning a little bit about some of the preconceptions that students might come to about America and race in America based on, you know, just popular culture that they might have absorbed or, or maybe their their education in, in, in high school and elementary school in, in Israel. And I'm just interested in, 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 in hearing you talk a little bit about what you think the the kind of popular discourse in Israel about race in America is like. Obviously, there was very, I remember a certain amount of speculation in the United States about how the fact that Barack Obama was African-American influenced the way he was perceived in Israel. Um, and so I'm just interested in, one, I'm interested in hearing you talk about what the popular cultural discussion about race in Israel is like, race in the right. United States and Israel. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, it's, it's, it's a hard one. Um, I am fairly certain, though, you know, I haven't done the research to back it up, but I'm still fairly certain, you know, the way academics are, um, that the reason that Barack Obama was so unpopular here among so many Jews is because he was perceived as black, as Muslim, as secretly supportive of the Palestinians, um, and that there was always a suspicion towards him because he was a member of an American minority. And again, while Tel Aviv University is in in many ways a bubble, then during his time as as president, there was always a sense here that he was he was a failed president. I mean, that was you know, if if you ask the average Israeli, you know, assuming that there is. Um, such a thing. Uh, how did Barack Obama do as president? Uh, the answer would be that he was a total failure. Um, that is the way it was portrayed here, that he was weak, that his Middle Eastern policy was a disaster, that he was indecisive, uh, that he was just not capable of meeting the challenges of, of the American presidency. Um, so it, in that way, you know, that, that was a common perception that, that was kind of constantly in the air during those years. And then there is, uh, of course, popular culture, which is mostly, I guess, sports and music and, and film. Um, and so uh, people here consume a lot of, of, of African-American music, uh, a lot of hip-hop um, Probably not to the same extent as as in the U.S., but they do have a sense of African Americans as being uh, wealthy, successful, um, culturally dominant, um, and so it's often kind of complicated to to get the 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 message across that you know Beyonce is not a representative is not representative of um, the mainstream African American experience. And uh, th- that's often kind of a, you know, if, if you're used to um, seeing uh, African-Americans only as um, uh, sports uh, celebrities or as, uh, or as music and, and film celebrities, then you have a pretty skewed, skewed impression uh, of, what in, of how inequality in, in America works. Um, and so, for example, mass incarceration, you know, that's something that's really kind of, it's talked about. Uh, among journalists, among academics, among people who are better informed, but 
you know, that kind of knowledge just doesn't exist. I mean, all the ways in which de facto segregation and discrimination um, still operates in America are just completely unknown here. I mean, when I talk about the fact that the states with the highest rates of uh, segregation and education in the U.S. are all in the North, uh, people are shocked. Um, it, I mean, they, they don't, because, you know, they're used to going to New York, for example, and, you know, just taking the subway and walking the streets, and they kind of, they don't notice the kind of subtleties of, of the black experience uh, that, that Americans, uh, I think, or maybe not all Americans uh, either, to be honest, um, uh, are, are so uh, sensitive to. And so there are a lot of um, misperceptions, I want to say, just a lot of misperceptions um, about black wealth, about black equality, um, and and weirdly about, well, maybe not weirdly, but kind of in a, maybe in a different realm about uh, Obama as, as, as an African-American. Um, also, it was, it was often pretty, during those years, the, the Obama years, um, people were, would often ask me, well, why is he even black? I mean, he's half white, so why is he black? He's not black. And the kind of idea that race is also a question of self-definition and the history of the one-drop rule and um, all these things which are just very foreign um, to Israeli culture, um, I, I found myself explaining uh, time and again, uh, sometimes to kind of strangers um, on the street. Um, so, I mean, if I had to kind of summarize it, I, I just think that there's a lot of um, a lot of images of African Americans, uh, a lot of kind of very superficial knowledge, but just a lot of misconceptions about uh, both the African American past and the African American present. Um, if, if I needed to summarize, uh, then that's probably uh, the way I would go. So Israel also obviously has uh, its own black Jewish population. It has Ethiopian uh, immigrants. Um, it also has a Mizrahi population, some of whom are from North Africa. You know, I, I, I know that there was, you know, decades ago there was this movement, uh, this kind of militant Mizrahi movement that called, it, called itself the Black Panthers. Um, I'm just wondering if you ever see identification or, you know, interesting kind of engagement from, uh, you know, people who, at least in the United States, we might call Jews of color, um, you know, right. um, with, uh, with the experience of, of African Americans in the United States. Right. I mean, I think as, as uh, part of what we call here the Mizrahi Revolution, the, the growing... Um, um, the growing predominance of uh, Mizrahi Jews and Mizrahi culture in Israeli life, then these connections are um, kind of increasingly made. And during uh, the, the recent wave of um, protest by the Ethiopian um, Israeli community or the community of, of Israelis who uh, are of Ethiopian uh, descent and, and um, have... Um, African um, uh, physical uh, identifiers, um, then that definitely came up that in Israel, too, um, people who are uh, black, people of African descent, are just off the charts, uh, police targets, um, and that it's just so, I mean, the rates of incarceration for um, Ethiopian youth, Ethiopian Israeli youth, is just is is unbelievable, and there are 
basically marked as troublemakers and potential criminals um, by the police. I mean, these were allegations um, that were uh, made um, during those protests constantly. Yes, uh, and and um, among the, the kind of the better informed commentators, um, the, the connections to the U.S. were were absolutely uh, perceived as as relevant. Um, and and you know this question of why why does a darker skin hue um, mean the same thing both in Israel and the United States and and what are the influences there um, and and how does economic inequality uh, feed uh, into mass incarceration feed into uh, injustice in the in the criminal justice system uh, definitely questions that that are incredibly uh, relevant and that again always come up in class this this question of dark skin. Why does dark skin matter so much in our society and in American society? Because, like I said, American society is such an overpowering influence on Israel, then asking these questions in a comparative context or, or trying to figure out why it is that in countries that are so different um, in many ways, darker skin color is so meaningful um, is is a question that's really interesting to ponder and kind of I always feel really elevates the discussion uh, beyond the the details of history into, you know, a, a really tough conversation about ourselves as human beings and, and on human nature and, and why power in society works the way it does uh, both here and there. Um, so in that way as well, kind of thinking in Israel, about Israel in the context of um, United States history is, extremely productive and 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 brings up questions in in ways that yeah that that take us beyond the you know the particular history of of uh Mizrahi Jews in Israel. Yeah, thank you so much for for speaking with me. I think this is really really fascinating and um I've always found your your research and your capacity to see deeply into the American experience while being someone who struggles um, for a more just Israel to be personally really inspiring. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much, Peter. That's very kind.